Well, somebody needs to say play ball, huh? What do you think? You know, if we can sing our national anthem and give thanks to God at a ball field, how many know we can thank God for his goodness in the house of the Lord? I stand before you today as a citizen of two kingdoms. My ultimate allegiance is to the eternal kingdom of God, but I'm also a citizen of the United States of America, and I have responsibility as a Christian citizen, and uh, that's why we're celebrating the 4th of July weekend. I'm going to be starting a new series next week called Call to Fall, and it's a series about prayer falling before the Lord in prayer, and uh, it's going to help you in your personal prayer life. We'll address a little bit why some prayers aren't answered, the purposes of prayer. I think it'll help a lot. But uh, this week, we're going to talk about the 4th of July and America's Christian heritage. And I don't know if I made a good decision or a bad decision, but I'll let Pastor Travis pick out some socks for, uh, for the 4th of July for me here. Uh, America... Fourth of July, religion, Christianity, it's a little controversial, a lot misunderstood, and I want to set the tone for that tension with a video of something that happened in Dallas just a few days ago, and uh, so take a peek at this. Faith under fire in Texas, this billboard taken down after a Dallas newspaper columnist and the mayor took offense with the message. The sign was put up to promote Pastor Robert Jeffress's upcoming event. But the big issue, the words, America is a Christian nation. Here now, the man behind the message, Robert Jeffers, pastor at First Baptist Church Dallas and a Fox News contributor. Uh, pastor Jeffers, th thank you for being here tonight. So what thank was you. the issue with this billboard? Well, according to the Dallas Morning News, they wrote this scathing article about this message calling me a bigot for saying that America is a Christian nation. And this sermon, Sandra, is simply my recounting the historical evidence for the Christian foundation of our country. They interviewed the mayor who said it was also divisive and hatred and, quote, did not represent who the city of Dallas is. And so 24 hours later, the billboard company called us, cited the Dallas Morning News article and the mayor's comment in that article and saying they were going to pull down the billboard. And Sandra, I want to make it clear, we respect the right of the billboard company not to propagate a message they aren't comfortable with. What our argument is, is with the mayor of Dallas, he does not have the right to weigh in on this, to disparage our church, and to directly or indirectly influence the billboard company. You know, one thing the Supreme Court made clear two weeks ago in the wedding cake case was government has to remain neutral, cannot be hostile toward religion, and we think Mayor Rawlings has been hostile to the First Baptist Church of Dallas. And Sandra, that phrase, America is a Christian nation, is actually a quote from John Jay, the uh, uh, first Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, and two Supreme Court rulings. So this is hardly an un-American or divisive idea. Has it come down the billboard? <laughs> I think so. But we have a billboard company, another one, that has put up 20 to replace these two the first company put down. Pastor Robert Jeffress, it's great to see you. Thanks, Andrew. Well, you sound a little biased to me. <laughs> but on a serious note, is it divisive and hateful, or is it true? Now, clearly, you look around America today, and the way America, our nation lives, you know, much of what's going on, it's not biblical, it's not Christian, but was America founded as a Christian nation, I guess is the question. Uh, I, I, this is what I want to address today. Let me read first to you, if you heard what he said, he said, John Jay, the first Supreme Court Justice under George Washington. 
Now, you can't get any more uh, foundational than that. Here's what he said. He said, providence, which is his word for the superintending God, providence has given to our people the choice of their rulers, and it is the duty as well as privilege and interest of our A Christian nation, interesting, to select and prefer Christians for their rulers. A Supreme Court justice said that. Now, one of the pillars of America's foundation was religious freedom. But intentionally, we are a nation of religious diversity. Uh, Clearly, we were founded, uh, the majority of the founders, those that signed the declaration, were men and women dedicated to God and dedicated to the Bible. They were not trying to force other people to become Christians. They were not excluding other people from being, and if you're not a Christian, you can't be a part of America. But the foundation of this great nation was definitely Christian. Sadly, today, secular humanists are attempting to destroy any vestige of our Christian heritage and replace it with a man-centered, godless, government-controlled state. That's the pressure, that's the conflict that you're seeing. I want to give you a history lesson today. I want to walk back in time with you. If you normally come to our church, you know that I I just will often use 12, 15 different scriptures to bring a relevant truth. But I would like to do a history lesson today. I like to stay close to my notes. I like to read a lot. It's well documented if you want to go online and see all the source material. But kind of lay a foundation uh, of historically what brought this nation to the place that it is today and what might we do to preserve that in the future. So uh, I've entitled it America's Christian Heritage. So let's jump in. I want you to think three things in three dates first. Let's talk about God and the American Revolution or the War for Independence, these key dates, 1775. 1776, a Declaration of Independence, and 1787, a Constitution. Three big events. So we've got an early nation at war. We started out, many came to America in search of religious freedom. There was a state church, the Church of England. They longed for religious freedom to worship God as they choose or not worship God. And that's what, in essence, the First Amendment would guarantee. You don't have to worship, but you have freedom to or to not worship God. Uh, But when the Declaration of Independence was signed in 1776, notice the words, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men, humanity, mankind, men, women, everyone is created equal. We're not evolved, we're not a product of some mindless evolution, but we are created, and they believe that we are endowed by our Creator, God Himself, with certain unalienable rights. God gave rights, and an unalienable right means a right that cannot be taken away. And God gave us the right of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And then He went on to say that the responsibility of of, of legitimate government is to protect God-given rights. Government's role is not to give rights, but government's role is to protect the rights of we the people. Um, If we can jump ahead from that 4th of July declaration to the Constitutional Convention, you can imagine now we're 11 years later, you've got men and women who have literally put their lives on the line. They got out there, the King of England, they were in his crosshairs. They were doing everything they can to kill these signers of this declaration. Well, now we've kind of gotten past that. Uh, now we're trying to come up with a constitution. And how many know if you get two people in the room, you've got two opinions? Yeah. 
You can have godly people. I mean, my wife and I are in the room, and you've got two opinions. And we talk about it a little bit, and I finally say, yes, dear. You understand what I'm talking about. That's how you get along in life and get along in marriage. But, but imagine if you get a room full of men, and they've probably got egos. They've sacrificed. They probably have some power. They have expertise. They have knowledge. Uh, they're representing different states with different interests. So there's potential for conflict there. And they cannot bring together a constitution to govern the America. So that's the setting. And Benjamin Franklin speaks up. And mind you now, George Washington is here. And he's addressing George Washington. Ben Franklin says this, groping as it were in the dark to find political truth. In other words, we're scratching our heads trying to figure this thing out. And then he asks the question, how has it happened, sir, speaking to Mr. Washington, that we have not hitherto once thought of humbly applying to the Father of lights, talking about God, to illuminate our understanding? He said, in the beginning of our contest or the war with Great Britain, we had daily prayer for our divine protection. Our prayers were graciously answered but have we now forgotten that powerful friend referring to God? The longer I live, the more convincing proves I see this truth that God governs in the affairs of men. It's not Republicans, Democrat, Libertarian, or the other dozens of political parties in America. It's not the, the state itself, but God is the ultimate orchestrator of affairs. And then he quotes a Bible verse. He says, if a sparrow, a bird, cannot fall to the ground without God's notice, is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? In other words, if we're going to try to bring a constitution to govern this, how can we do this without God? And then he quotes the Bible again. We've been assured in the sacred writings, he's quoting Psalms, that except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. I firmly believe this. I also believe that without God's concurring aid, we shall succeed in this political building no better than the builders of Babel. So I therefore move that prayers imploring the assistance of heaven be held in this assembly every morning before we proceed to business and that one of the clergy of the city officiate in that service. And a few days later, they gave us the Constitution of the United States. Now, there was in this revolution a feeling that we can't grab hold of. I mean, when you read history, you only come to believe the perspective of the person that wrote it. And the problem is, <laughs> how do we know? We didn't live in it. And what happens if you have people, everybody brings their biases. I bring my bias in my message today. You bring yours in whatever you defend. We just, we can't help it. It's who we are. Journalists in America today have ceased to report the news objectively, but there's always, it seems to be a bias that's in the midst of it. Well, there was a bias there that's often missing in history books, and a British governor wrote to Great Britain. He was a governor in the States here, governing, and his was his complaint. If you ask an American who's his master, he'll tell you he has none. He has no governor, but... Now, isn't that interesting? A motto of the American Revolution, something that bound them together, it was about King George of England, and it was called the divine right of kings. You see, we, we've lived in a democracy all our life, a, a Republican form of government. Uh, we don't understand this idea of a king being in control or a dictator, but this divine right of kings meant when the king spoke, it was the voice of God to the people. And if you don't like it, they cut your head off. You don't believe that's true? Look, do a, do a quick study of communism around the world. Look at communism in the last 50 or 100 years. There are hundreds of millions of people 
that have died an innocent death because they would not conform to the dictator or to the supreme communist doctrine. It's, it, it, it's history. This divine right of kings, uh, their motto was no king but King Jesus. How many say that's better? This Wednesday, we're celebrating the 4th of July as our Independence Day when the declaration was formally adopted by the Continental Congress. 13 American colonies became a new nation, the United States, no longer a part of the British Empire. 242 years ago, we've got our national birth certificate. We are the longest ongoing constitutional republic in the history of the world. Now, that might not mean much to you, but America is the enviable place to live in the world. People aren't squirming to get out unless, they may tell you now, actors may say, well, if so-and-so is elected, I'm leaving. They never do. But people are coming in our borders for a reason, friend. They're coming across our southern border, not just from Mexico, but all over Southern America, all over Europe, all over the Middle East. People want to get to a place of freedom. There's a reason for that. These blessings that America enjoys, not by chance or accident, but listen to the Bible. And this is my thesis or my main point this morning. The psalmist says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Not one of many gods, the God. Blessed is the nation, the people God has chosen as his heritage. Listen to what our sixth president said, John Quincy Adams. You will never hear this in, 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 in uh, the secular public setting today. He said this, the highest glory of the American Revolution was this. It connected in one indissoluble bond, a bond that cannot be separated, the principles of civil government with the principles of Christianity. That is blasphemy to the modern mind today. You and I have been falsely taught a concept called separation of church and state. How many have been taught that? Sure, we all have. You hear it all the time. It's not in the Constitution. And what we're taught it means, we're taught an evolution of the Supreme Court's interpretation where they broke with precedent precedent in the 1940s. That doctrine was interpreted this way. Uh, Thomas Jefferson wrote to the Danbury Baptist Association, and they were concerned that, they were, uh, that in America there was going to be a state church in their state. And Thomas Jefferson wrote back, no, there's a wall between church and state. And the wall was not to protect the state from the church. It was to protect the church from the state's interference. And that's the true separation of church and state. It was never the intent of our founders to separate biblical principles, godly people in leadership, from the, from the, the way that our nation is, is governed. Uh, sixth president. Let's talk about the religious background of the men that gave us this great nation. Fifty-six signed it, all at the threat of their life. All of them were religious people. The majority were Christians. They were Episcopalian, Anglican, Congregationalist, and Presbyterian. Four people that signed it were preachers, and 29 of the 56 had what we would call a seminary or Bible school degree. But if you talk about our founders today, they're depicted as greedy white men of privilege who only gave lip service to God. They were people that were sent here to pillage and enslave people for gain. Let me say this unequivocally. Our founders were not perfect, but guess what? No one in leadership today is perfect either. No one in the church is perfect. This is not an excuse for our sins or our shortcomings. There were some of our founders that owned slaves. Shame on them. There were also some of our founders that brought us, uh, uh, that were abolitionists, that they led in, the, in, in, in getting rid of slavery. Listen, there's always been people that you know, were good and people that were not so good. But if there was a trend across America a number of months ago where statues were being torn down across America from peoples of the past, be they the Civil War. And the trend was if anyone owned slave, no matter who they were, get rid of that thing. 
But my question is, who do we replace them with? When you, this is what, what, what the Maoists did in the, in the communist revolution in China. They got rid of every vestige of the nation's past. It's not just that we're trying to purge the wrong things from America. What are we replacing it with? You cannot find one person, whether it's President Trump, President Obama, Martin Luther King, you cannot find anybody that could be erected in a statue as a perfect person. But one thing that can be said of these men and women that founded this great nation is they left an indelible mark of the Christian heritage of the Christian foundation on this great land. Uh, let, let me, let, let's talk about Christianity and early education. Here's one thing that's for certain. Whatever is being taught the children today will set the tone of the culture tomorrow. Whatever the children are learning today, they will espouse as true for tomorrow. Uh, let's talk about Christianity and early education in America. There's a professor, Columbia University, a PhD, Dr. Lawrence Crimin, and here's what he finds in his study of col the colonial period. In the colonial period, listen now, the Bible was the single most cultural influence in the lives of Anglo-Americans. The Bible. He went on to say the cornerstone of early American education was a belief that children are the heritage of the Lord, a quote from the Bible. This is a historian, not, not a politician, but this is someone simply going back and looking at the founding of this great nation. The New England Primer, it was the first book, the, the first textbook, if you were a child, not only in early American history, but all the way up into the 1950s. That's a long time when kids were taught to read in the old phonics lessons. But do you know that New England Primer also taught them how to pray? How many were taught to pray when you were a child? Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Raise your hand if you were taught to pray that way. Look around the room right now. Where do you think your parents learned that? It was not Sunday school. It was taught in the public schools of America. See, we're taught today this erroneous doctrine of the separation of church and state that there's no room for religion in our public schools. Friend, they have religion in all schools. It's called humanism. If it's not centered in God, it's centered in man. But they also learn the ABCs. If you were in this New England primer, here's how you learn ABCs. For the letter A, it was in Adam's fall, we all, we sinned all. The letter B, heaven to find the Bible in mind. C, Christ crucified and on down the line. By the time the kids learned ABCs, they also were well acquainted with Bible stories and concepts of right and wrong. And I suggest to you that's what's missing in America today. We're no longer teaching concepts of right and wrong. The New England Primer was replaced with Dick and Jane. How many were taught to read with, sure, with Dick and Jane? Now, how can you argue with two kids? Everything was moral, everything was upright, but what was missing was God. And Dick and Jane now have been added in the curriculum. We're having books like Heather Has Two Mommies. At the same time, test scores began dropping. Uh, there was a moral decline among our youth and a rising crime rate. I suggest because we don't know the difference between right and wrong. And we have adults that don't know the difference between right and wrong. We're witnessing around us in America today what could amount to a civil war in America. As another Supreme Court justice has retired, there is a sense now that, listen, if there was a conservative or someone that was a constitutionalist that was placed into office, it could undo a whole lot of things. And it is a cultural uprising happening. 
Yesterday, there were tens of, tens of thousands of people that were uh, riding. One had to be shut down. I think it was in Portland, Oregon yesterday. Uh, one, 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 it had to be shut down because violence was breaking out. See, violent threats are everywhere. But there's more death threats going on today in politics than I've heard in my lifetime. That if you're on the wrong side of the issue, uh, the political left does not mind using threats, death threats, violence to get their way. I suggest this stems from not knowing the difference between right and wrong. Our Constitution gives us the right to freely assemble, but it doesn't give us the right to riot. Come on now. It doesn't give us the right to threaten to kill someone. It doesn't give us the right to harm someone. How I many know the Bible offers a better way? But this is what's happening in America today. Back to that New England primer. Uh, the, one of the main reasons it was taken out of schools is because many parents didn't want their children exposed to the Bible. I mean, it's always been that way. I mean, no, when Jesus was on the earth, there was a lot of people that didn't believe in him. They crucified him. I mean, no, when the early church was founded, Paul would go in a city, he'd talk about Jesus. Some would believe they'd start a church. The rest of them would say, we don't believe. It's always been like that. America was never, listen, America is not a church. Come on now. America has never been a Christian nation in the sense was everybody was a Christian. There's always people that are free to believe or free to reject. God has given us free will. But secular educators pushed to remove Christian education from the public school. The ACLU was quick to come along and bring lawsuits against Christianity, any practice of it. That's why, so today, when I was a kid, in public school, uh, we'd start our day. In the first grade, uh, Theron Long, our principal, would come over the microphone, and he would read a, a Bible verse, and he would pray. What's happened? Let's talk about universities just a second. What's happened is the secular is pushing the religious to the side. And we've allowed much of it. Let's talk about universities. 106 of the first 108 colleges in America were founded by Christians built on Christian principles. You say, I don't believe that, preacher. I challenge you to go back and look at the founding documents, the charters of institutions like Yale and Dartmouth. You'll find that most of the big schools on the East Coast, Harvard, they, they, they use the word Jesus Christ. They use the word Christian. But it's since evolved. It's been replaced by the secular. Let's take Harvard. If there's an institution that you would say uh, epitomizes the, the highest level of education in America, it's kind of culturally, it's Harvard. Did you know Harvard was founded, Harvard College, 18 years after the pilgrims landed? And it was established for the sake of educating clergy and being a Christian academic institution to meet the needs of the Christian faith. You know, if you went to Harvard, you had to agree to this. There's second and third what's called rules and precepts. By this, I mean, if you're a student, you have to come in and say, yeah, I, John Miller, this is, I agree that I'm going to do this. Here was rule number two. Let every student be plainly instructed. The main end of his life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life. The third thing he had to agree to, everyone shall exercise himself in reading the scriptures twice a day. Huh. If I'm going to go to Harvard, if I'm going to go to college, I've got to read my Bible twice a day. Why? He quotes the scripture, seeing the entrance of your word gives light, it gives understanding to the simple. Now let me quote you, May of 2016, the Washington Times quotes a Harvard law professor. This will shock you. Here's what this wise man said. Mark Tushnet said, has called for liberals to begin treating like Nazis, those who subscribe to Christian or conservative beliefs. 
you're going to pay several hundred thousand dollars if you can get in, and a professor will tell you that if there's a Christian emerges on the campus, you need to treat him like a Nazi. Something's happened. I suggest it would be wise if we heeded the advice of Dr. Benjamin Rush. He, he signed the declaration, but he was the founder of public schools. Listen to what he said. He said, the Bible should be read in our schools. Plug out your ears. Surely you didn't hear me. The Bible should be read in public schools. Well, pastor, pastor, people will be offended. Let them get offended. I'm offended every day. The Bible should be read in public schools, in our schools, in preference to all other books because it contains the greatest portion of the kind of knowledge that's calculated to produce private and public happiness. Let's move on. Our national, what's our national motto? Yeah, in God we trust. I need a little help here. I, I, I need a, a large uh, denomination bill. Somebody has a 20 or a 100. Could you, uh, could you let me see that real quick? Anybody happen to have a $100 bill here? I'm a poor preacher. You. She said, I've got one, but I want it back. She read your notes. <laughs> what, Jason, you can read, can't you? What does it say right there? In God we trust. Thank you. In God we trust. <laughs> it says it on all of it. I want to tell you something really cool. How many Arkansans in the room? Raise your hand here. You may not know this, but about a year ago, your state legislature passed a law and your governor signed it that in every classroom in the state of Arkansas, every public building, that there should be our national motto, In God We Trust. Now, we're getting on board with this. We're offering any school district that wants to do that, our church is going to commit to putting these things up for them. We'll pay for them because you can't use public funds. Actually, if you want to do that, that little table in the lobby today, I think 20 bucks, you can have a poster for yourself, either Arkansas or Texas, but, uh, 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 and you'll put in three different classrooms. That's kind of in the lobby today. But let me tell you what I heard today. I heard when this law was passed, the ACLU sent a letter to all the school superintendents say, if you put it up, we'll sue you. National motto, but if you put it up, we'll sue you. I'm thrilled to tell you as well, though. Jay Sekulow of the what's it, American Center for Law and Justice said, if they sue you, we will defend you free of cost. And uh, our first big taker are, are, are the schools in Falk. They want 111. They're going to put it in every classroom. They're going to put it in every office, and they're going to put it in the bus barn too. So that's a, that's a pretty cool thing. Well, let's talk about our national motto. Can you imagine trying to pass that as a national motto today? Oh, mercy. Well, where did this come from? Let me give you the roots quickly. It comes from our national anthem. And I want all the teenagers to listen, if you're in elementary school, because I doubt you hear this. Unless you go to a Christian school or unless you're homeschooled with the right textbooks, you won't hear this. I am thrilled, though, let me say again, for our teachers and educators in our church that are in the school system, public or private, because you're bringing your influence to bear. And I'm grateful I live in Texarkana, USA, because there's a lot of Christian influence in our schools that we go to. But, but anyway, uh, in, it came, our national anthem, Star Spangled Banner, written by Francis Scott Key, 1814, after the British ships bombed Fort McHenry in 1812. But he wrote this verse 
And listen to the fourth verse of this great song. Praise the power that made and preserved us as a nation. That's God. Then conquer we must when our cause it is just. Say this with me. And this be our motto. In God is our trust. That's the foundation of it. We first put it on coins, 1864. And this is interesting. We put it on our currency in 1957. That's the year I was born. Why, 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 why then? Well, it was because of the rise of atheistic communism. This is when the Soviet Union was beginning to rise to an apex of power. It was, it was grasping nations all around it, and it was forming. It, it's not just evil capitalism and, and good communism. It was freedom against the dictator and government control, and they were about to clash. And America made a public statement. Our elected representative says, we are trusting in God. Let me shift gears in the last few minutes. There's open hostility to Christianity in America today. Christians are being bullied in the public square. Began in the 60s, Supreme Court removed the Ten Commandments, this whole erroneous idea, separation of church and state, Bible reading from schools, nixed. Manger scenes from public buildings. You remember at Christmas time when you're, you're in front of your courthouse you used to have a manger scene? Nah, separation of church and state. Judges have been restricting prayer in schools. And it's not just judges. There's an outfit in Wisconsin, Freedom From Religion Foundation. They, uh, they attacked a, a school in, uh, the school district, Ashdown, Arkansas. Gratefully, they stood their ground and said, go back to Wisconsin. Uh, where I was raised, a little town, Hernando, Mississippi, DeSoto County, their schools used to pray on Friday night. They were threatened with a lawsuit, and they said, okay, don't sue us. So what happens all over America? It took a Supreme Court to say that a baker had the right not to bake a cake. Christians are fired for publicly standing for traditional marriage. It's happening all over. The people that don't agree with or don't like what I'm saying today, if you posted on your public Facebook page a picture of you and your wife and your kids and said, this is God's idea, a man and a woman, you could be fired from many companies in America. Crosses, Christian cross, all cemeteries all over America, all over the world, they're being torn down systematically simply because they are Christian. Chaplains are told not to pray in Jesus' name. Under God is often deleted from our Pledge of Allegiance. I can go on and on with this. Hopefully you know it's out there. But what I want to encourage you to do, let's crawl out from under the rock. And let's realize that as a Christian, we can stand against the tide of humanism. This antichrist spirit, we don't stand against the tide with a knife and a gun. We stand with a rational argument. We stand with Christian compassion. And if you have to defend yourself, you have to defend yourself. But are you, are you with me today? We don't bring ourselves down to that level, but we also don't back down. And I want to encourage you to join me in having three biblical role models in this fight, this war that's going on. The first is the Apostle Paul. The second one is Daniel. And the third is Jonah. Let me talk briefly. Here's what Paul teaches us. Paul's, Paul said, it, basically, use your rights as a Christian and get involved. Now, what do I mean by this? Stand up for your rights. Paul was being persecuted. He was, they were out to flog him. That's how they were going to get information from him. And Paul said this. He said, are you going to flog a Roman citizen and, and deny him due process of law? And they said, we didn't realize you were Roman. You have rights. 
So this Christian stood up and said, hey, look, I have the right to stand here. I want to remind you of the Bill of Rights. The Bill of Rights is the first addition to the Constitution. It is a refinement. It is an underscoring of some things that were perhaps missed or not emphasized. And the very first comment that our founders gave us was a protection, the freedom of religion. And when I say the freedom of religion, it's the freedom to practice religion or not. If you want to reject it, you don't have to do that is the way our nation was founded. You don't have to become a Christian, but you're welcome to. But here's what, the, uh, here's what it says. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. Over time, judges have interpreted that to mean the whole concept of separation of church and state where the church can't have any influence in the state because we're establishing religion. That's erroneous. They miss the second part. Congress shall not make a law prohibiting the free exercise thereof. This is not just our rights. There's a movement, you know, there's a movement uh, to, to rewrite the Constitution. I think 20-something states have already signed on to it. If they get so many, it, you know, we have a redo. I think it's a bad idea. But here's, 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 a, here's one thing they want to do. They want to take away our freedom to worship, our freedom of religion and give us a freedom to worship. That's what they have in communist China. They have a freedom to worship in the four walls of the church building. But a freedom of religion is in the workplace. If you as a nurse or a doctor don't want to be a party to an abortion, or if you're a hospital that doesn't want to perform abortions, the government cannot force you to do it because of the right of conscience. It's one of the greatest guarantees that we have. Uh, I'll illustrate this, standing up for your rights. Todd Starnes, he's a great editorialist, he, uh, writer today, and he writes about a school not too far away, East Central University in Oklahoma. This was about a year, year and a half ago. But this, uh, this university, bowing to political pressure, here's what they were going to do to their chapel. Remove the crosses, remove Bibles, and other religious symbols from the campus chapel. Why would you have a campus chapel were it not for the practice of religion? But don't you understand, people get offended. Let them get offended. Where is it written that I have the right to be offense-free? And I, listen, I don't, I don't mean you and I being some arrogant, self-righteous, bigot, demanding people to do things. Now, come on. But listen, everyone has the freedom to choose. So here's what he said. Christians, stand up, mobilize, and fight back. Appeasement is not the answer. Going along will not get it. So bombard the university president and state attorney general and get the alumni, basically tell them this. Pull out their $100 bill that says, in God we trust, and say, if you don't want to recognize God, we're not going to entrust you with our money. <laughs> Have the courage to stand up. You, listen, why, Pastor? Because if we don't stand for our rights today, our children won't have them tomorrow. Our children could be raised in a nation where they don't have the freedom to worship or in schools they're forced to. And before you know it, what have you got? You've got an atheistic nation. I think what's behind the pastor and the billboard that we show, uh, I showed to start this message and the Dallas mayor, it was a form of bullying, but he stood up for his rights. And I would imagine, I don't know this for sure, I've not researched it, but did you hear him say when two billboards got taken down, another billboard company said, we'll put up 20? Yeah. I bet you there's a Christian involved somewhere. Yeah. I bet you somebody pulled out a checkbook. I bet you somebody that owned a business has said, I'm going to stand, I'm not going to be bullied. Amen. So first thing I'd say to you, 
Be like Paul, know your rights and stand for them. And let me tell you the last two. Be like Daniel. Daniel was a man. Daniel didn't live in a republic. He didn't have, you know, a free vote. Daniel lived in a democracy. He lived under a pagan king. Daniel was elevated in terms of the, the country's government, doing a great job. But simply because he believed in the God of the Bible, they wanted to shut him down. So they made up this law just to trick him and catch him. And the law was if anybody prayed to any god for the next 30 days other than the pagan king, he'd be thrown to the lions. Daniel read it. He heard about it. And the Bible says he went home and he prayed three times a day just like he'd always been doing. And you know the rest of the story. What am I telling you in this, friends? Have the courage to do right even if it could be costly. Have the courage to stand up. Listen, they might put you on a fishing pole and let you down in there with the kitty cats. Well, guess what? God might do for you what he did, for the, did with Daniel. He shut the mouths of the lions and everything turned around on a dime because God intervened. You say, my pastor, my pastor, what if I get down there and those lions were to eat me up? You're going to go in heaven. They're going to be shouting when you get there. <laughs> I don't want to die. I don't want to fight anybody. I don't want a lawsuit. But guess what? I also don't want to die, be on my deathbed thinking, I wish I would have had the courage to stand rather than bowing to the forces of our day. Let me give you a third one. There's where the hope is. Be like Jonah. Speak the truth in love in hopes of a spiritual awakening. Let me tell you what the problem is in America today. You see these forces being aligned this is not Republican, Democrat. It is not conservative, liberal. As Christian citizens in America, I choose a political party. I choose a label. But it is way, 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 way bigger than that. It's spiritual. And the reason people are doing insane things is because they need God in their life. We forget sometimes that, that Jesus is the light, and he brought light to our eyes, and we understand things were, were heretofore hidden from us. That's the exact same thing that people in the world that are doing crazy things need. They need the light of God. They don't mean to, me to beat them up with the gospel. You know what happened in Jonah's story. Jonah didn't want to go, but he went. He went around a city of 120,000 people. And the Bible says these 120,000 didn't know their left hand from their right. What that means is they had no sense of moral correctness. They didn't know what right from wrong. Let me illustrate this in this way, perhaps, in our culture. How about the whole transgenderism push? Here's the question. Do I have the right to decide if I'm a man or a woman? Or has God already decided that at my, has the Creator decided that when I was born? Which is very clear in 99.7% of the American population. The Creator has assigned my birth. The question is, will I submit to the Creator or will I not? But our culture is going to the insane edge where it's telling kids four, five, six years old, it's okay if you can be a boy. You can have pink toys and blue toys. You can have both and you can choose what you're going to be. Can I tell you, friends, listen, it is, it, it's called gender confusion in the scientific community for a reason. Because people are confused and they need help to be led in the right way. The suicide rate among transgenders is astronomical. See, this is one of those arenas where biblical truth Understanding the Creator's role that when God made you a little boy, God didn't make a mistake. You may have some feminine tendencies, but you are a little boy created by God. And you can find your identity as a boy that will become a man, that will become a daddy, that will become a father. And God's the way God created you. What people need is they need the light and the truth of the gospel. And you, my friend, and I are light bearers. What America needs is not Christians doing this. 
America needs a visitation from heaven. America needs a spiritual awakening where God turns the heart of the wicked unto God, where he turns the heart of the confused and brings the light of the gospel. Hey, listen, I'm going to close with this. I'm glad you came this morning. Uh, this last one I want to say, and we're going to practice this. We're going to close this way. All across America today, there was a, a call issued. It's called Call to Fall. That's going to be my prayer series coming up. But Call to Fall simply means churches across America. This morning, tens of thousands of churches across America are taking five minutes in their service to pray for the nation. And we're going to do that before we go home today, and then we'll sing God Bless America. But I want you to look at a scripture that we'll base this prayer on. It's a promise from God that God gave Solomon in the Old Testament when they built the temple. God said this, if the nation gets crazy and things get weird, here's the solution. If my people, say it with me, who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven, I'll forgive their sin and heal their land. Could we do that this very morning? Yes. Yes. One way you outwardly humble yourself is to kneel. And I want to ask if you're physically able, if you would just kneel at your chair right now. And we're going to take five minutes to pray. We're going to start out with this first minute, and I'm going to ask you, in your own heart, to you just pray and talk to God about America. And then we're going to have a couple people lead us, and then we'll sing God Bless America. But would you just take a minute and let God hear probably 400, 450 voices this morning praying, asking God to turn our nation back to Him. Just begin to talk to God now. We, uh, we pray for your church today. God, that there would be an awakening all across the nation, Lord, for p your people to rise up and be the church. God, I pray for a passion. Lord, I pray for a power, Lord, and just a boldness, Lord, to stand when it's not easy. Lord, I pray that there would be an anointing on preachers who are preaching the cross, Lord, and that people would draw back to you. God, that, that sons would be drawn to fathers, fathers would be drawn to sons, Lord, mothers and daughters, but Lord, that your people would rise up, God, and be the church. Lord, we just pray for a spiritual awakening, Lord, in our hearts today. God, that in any way, Lord, that maybe we, we, we haven't stood the way that you've called us to, Lord, in our jobs or with our family, Lord, I pray that you would convict our hearts today. God, I pray that we would turn back to you, Lord, not only in this house, but, Lord, all across the nation. Lord, won't you move today? Won't you speak to us today, Lord? And won't you help us bring our nation, God, back to our knees, Lord, in prayer? Lord, not because of brokenness, not because of calamity, but, Lord, because we know that the only way that we can be where you've called us to be is when we seek your face, God, when we humble our hearts. And, Lord, we just ask you today to be with us, Lord. Help your church be the church today, God, in Jesus' name. We come before you and ask you, Lord, to not only be with the national officials, the congressmen, senators, 
president, his staff, God, those of state officials, Lord, governors, all the representatives from the districts, God. Every aspect of government, I pray, Lord, that you will go to each individual that speaks and represents people in life and help them to understand the consciousness of right and wrong. Bring light to their mind. Let them know that you are the truth and that standing for the truth and obeying the truth is the most important thing any nation can do. God, let us not stand as a people of division, but Lord, help us as a nation to stand united. United for the kingdom of God. United for the freedom that is bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. Your mercy is new every morning, Lord. And I pray, let that mercy come Quench the thirst, men and women in this nation. Let them know that you are the true and the living God. We honor you in your name. Father, we lift up our school systems to you. Lord, first of all, we ask you to forgive us as a church, even starting in the 60s when we just allowed prayer to get out of school and we just allowed, you know, the, the secularism to come in and just... Uh, what the church allow by not being a voice, Lord, just kind of letting it happen. And, and Lord, we ask you to forgive us. But, Lord, we pray now, Lord, as there's a, a lot of darkness that's come into the school and there's violence and there's and there's just as it doesn't seem to be a safe place a lot of times. We want to pray and stand in the gap for our school systems. Lord, we thank you that we're in Texarkana, Lord, and, and we have a situation. Lord, we have a lot of godly principles, a lot of godly uh, superintendents, a lot of godly teachers and, and students that are on fire for you. We give you praise for that, Lord, and we recognize wherever the darkness grows more, Lord, your light wants to spring forth. So we call revival down. Let us start here in Texarkana, Lord. Bless these teachers that literally uh, go into our schools and believe they're called to be missionaries in our schools, Lord, and it's not about their pay, Lord. It's about them making a difference in our young people. Lord, we thank you for the young people that have stepped out and leading Bible clubs. Bless all the Bible clubs in Texarkana, Lord, and bless the people that are leading it, and pray for favor for the Bible clubs, Lord. Continue to bless the students, Lord, and let them be bold with their faith, Lord. Uh, government can't keep prayer out of school, Lord. These young people can pray, Lord, and we thank you that uh, you're raising up a mighty army of young people, Lord, that'll sweep across this nation, Lord, and no matter how dark it gets, no how bad or how bad it gets, how bad the media wants to portray it. Lord, we want to thank you that you're on the throne, Lord, and that you're going to move in these young people. You're going to move in the teachers and principals, and if somebody hinders you, just move them out of the way in Jesus' name. And we want to give you praise for what you're going to do, and we just give you glory, and we just stand in the gap and pray for revival in our schools in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's stand back to our feet, and let's close with God bless America, and we'll have some prayer time right after that.